Tonight I am <coughs> starting the book of Revelation. It's my intention to spend approximately a uh, week on each chapter of the book of Revelation, except for the seven churches. I will do a little more than, uh, I'll probably spend a week on each church. So we'll probably have about 30 messages in this series. I hope it will be a benefit and a value to you. I note, first of all, the goal of our study is, first of all, to encourage people to spend more time in the book of Revelation. I think the book of Revelation is one of those scary books that uh, people don't read scary, not because they are frightened of its content, but rather uh, kind of throw up their hands and say, wow, you know, I don't understand this. I don't get much out of this. And so it becomes a rather ignored book. And so, first of all, I, my goal is to make it a little more accessible to people. <clears throat> they feel more comfortable in its study, and <clears throat> it makes more sense overall. Secondly, to make the book of Revelation more understandable by focusing on its broad themes and centering upon the truths that are clearly revealed. So it's going to be my intent to try to make plain that which Revelation makes plain, to uh, focus on what it tells us as opposed to what it doesn't tell us. Uh, so my goal is not to be very speculative and try to figure out everything that uh, the Word of God does not tell us, but rather uh, to be more instructional and just look at what does it clearly reveal. And uh, that is the most value, of course, and it's of the greatest benefit, and uh, it's the most valuable to us for uh, there is much in the book of Revelation for us actually to submit to, to learn uh, from and uh, to guide our lives in such a way that they honor and glorify God. So uh, that's going to be the intent, that we be more godly people as a result of the book of Revelation. And then thirdly, to give assurance to the child of God that it is worth the struggle to remain faithful to God. We will reign with him. Now, one of the overarching themes is overcoming in the book of Revelation and we will overcome. We know the end. Uh, we know how it all turns out. And that is the Christ is victorious. And that uh, we will reign with him forever and ever. And so we want to focus on that great uh, theme. And uh, as we look at this life and all of its miseries and heartache, uh, to keep before us the victories that are to be had in the personal Lord Jesus Christ. So we begin by looking at some interpretive issues. There are four major schools of interpretation for the book of Revelation. There are four major ways in which it's understood and the way in which it's taught. The first is referred to as the preterist school. Uh, the preterist approach views Revelation not as future predictive prophecy, but as historical record of events that took place in the first century Roman Empire. So this sees Revelation as talking about that time in the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, and uh, the exercise of Roman Empire over the church. The historical school uh, understands the predictions cover the entire period between John's day and the return of Christ. In this view, the churches of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are viewed as representing various periods in church history. So that in this view, each of the seven churches represent seven periods in church history. 
and they describe what's taking place in each one of those successive periods of church history. However, the book of Revelation clearly identifies the churches of Revelation as those churches already existing in Asia Minor, Revelation 1-4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, these are seven churches that are in existence in the time of the Apostle John. So as we look at those churches, uh, we're going to look at them in detail and see what we can learn from them as we think about how God uh, analyzes, how God critiques uh, seven churches that existed in John's day, and then what we can learn from that critique and uh, learn how God would be critiquing our church in the particular period in time in which we live. Third is the idealist school. The idealist approach sees depicted in Revelation the timeless struggle between good and evil that is played out in every age. According to this view, Revelation is neither a historical record nor a predictive prophecy. The book of Revelation is reduced to a collection of myths and allegories designed to convey spiritual truths. So in this view, we're not really to understand these things in any kind of literal sense, but rather we're just to look for an overall arching teaching. It's kind of like Aesop's fables. Uh, you don't really focus on what the fable is except to understand that it has a moral application at the end. And so what you want to take away from the Aesop's fables are the moral applications. This would say, what we really want to take away from the book of Revelation is just the, the basic teaching that uh, good triumphs over evil. Uh, we're supposed to see just the basic truths concerning uh, the struggle that exists in the kingdom of God. Fourth is the futuristic school. The futuristic approach sees in chapters 4 to 22 predictions of people and events yet to come in the future. That is, to the future of John, and for the most part, future to us as well. We will adopt the futuristic approach in interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, so I believe chapters 4 to 22 are basically in the future. And uh, not just to the Apostle John, but for the most part, in future to us as well. And uh, we need to understand it in that way. B, the use of symbols in the book of Revelation. Boring in his commentary on Revelation states, and I quote, John used symbols in order to communicate that which cannot be expressed in any other way. Not to conceal something that could be said more straightforwardly. Okay, so uh, what that means is that uh, this is not meant to, to hide truth from us. These metaphors are, are not given in order to, to veil the truth of God. It's not so that, wink, wink, it's telling us something, but it's beyond our capability, but rather that the metaphors are used because there is no better way to communicate this, this truth, uh, that, that uh, these are concepts that are best understood by the metaphors, by the symbols, and therefore uh, we need to understand those metaphors and symbols. <clears throat> Two, thus one is not to find a secret code to unravel the mysteries of the book of Revelation. It is not given to us to hide truth, and, and so we need to find some kind of mystery way uh, that is going to unlock all of the metaphors and symbols. You know, that uh, um, wasn't too long ago that there was a popular book 
the Da Vinci Code. Uh, and there have been a number of books uh, printed down through the ages that uh, talk about uh, one that was very popular about 20 years ago. Uh, it was entitled The Bible Code. <clears throat> it was filled with all kinds of numerical representations of letters, et cetera, et cetera. And you put all this together, you figure out the, the algorithms, and you're going to unlock the key to the book of Revelation. Well, that's not what it's about. That's not how we go about understanding it. Three, rather we're to take a straightforward approach in seeking to understand the entire, entirety of Revelation, including its many metaphors and other figures of speech. We're to employ the same hermeneutic, that simply means Bible study method, that we would in studying any prophetic portion of Scripture. In other words, we shouldn't see Revelation as just totally unique from all the other books of the Bible, but rather see that the book of Revelation is in keeping with all of the prophetic books of the Scriptures, whether it be Ezekiel, whether it be Isaiah. Uh, when you think of the prophetic books, the book of Daniel, you find within a lot of those prophetic books a lot of uh, <clears throat> metaphors, a lot of symbols, <clears throat> and you have to work your way through them. Same is true in the book of Revelation. So it's not some kind of different cat. Uh, it's <clears throat> like any other prophetic portion of Scripture. But what makes it the most difficult for us is that many of the other portions of Scripture we can look at in hindsight. Uh, they are prophetic and future to the nation of Israel, but much of the material is historic to us. It points to the cross. It points to the coming of Christ. So we get to have 2020 hindsight and look back. Revelation is tough because we don't have 2020 hindsight. Uh, it's talking about things that are yet future to us, okay? And in that sense, it's rather unique. Now, there are things in these other books, especially the book of Ezekiel, that are future to us as well. And I would submit to you that those portions of Ezekiel are hard to understand also. Uh, but we just need to realize that, in general, it fits the scope of prophecy and the way we go about understanding prophecy as any prophetic book. It's not uh, some kind of, as I say, different animal. So number three, an outline to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation furnishes its own outline. And so I have uh, said that this is a key verse, uh, meaning that uh, it, it, this really does help us uh, to put the book of Revelation in a proper perspective. For the book of Revelation divides itself into three sections based on past, present, and future events as they relate to the Apostle John. So we don't have to pick out these, these time differences out of the air. They're not made up, but the book of Revelation points to these three time periods itself. <clears throat> so the key verse, Revelation, right therefore. Uh, so the Apostle John is given this mandate to write. And this is what he is to write. Number one, the things that you have seen. Notice past tense. The things that are, notice, present tense. Those that are to take place after this, future. So Paul, so John is to write the things that you have seen, past tense, the things that are, present tense, and the things that will take place after this. All right, so there's the framework. 
Now, if we find, if we follow that framework, we ought to see it in the book of Revelation, which we do. So, here is the framework applied in the book of Revelation. First, the things that you have seen. That covers Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven lampstands. And when I saw him, past tense, verse 17, and when I saw him, okay, still uh, NAS, past tense, verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen. Write the things which thou hast seen. Then there are the things that are. That is the message to the seven churches, chapter 2, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 22. As I said, the seven churches, it tells us that these are the seven churches that existed in Asia Minor in John's day. So it says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that take place. That's the, the uh, framework. Verse 120, as for the mystery of the seven churches that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Then it goes on to describe the seven churches. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, that covers to the end, chapter 22, verse 21, are the things that will take place after these things. That's back from, again, Revelation 1.19. Write the things which you have seen, those that are, and those that take place after this. So in the after this phase, um, Revelation 4.1, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the voice, first voice and I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So chapter four, verse one starts with the things that take place after this. So it's on the basis of that outline, it's on the basis of those words that we divide the book of Revelation into three sections. That which was past to the Apostle John, that which was present to the Apostle John, and that which was future to the Apostle John. Okay, theme. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. It is a message of his activity reigning over heaven and earth, a reign that is exercised over all people. It is first and foremost a just that, a revelation of Jesus Christ, is to teach us more about Jesus in his work, his ministry, and his person. So that is what we need to focus on. What does it teach us about Jesus? The book of Hebrews depicts the tension that presently exists in Christ's rule. In one sense, Christ rules over all things. In another sense, Christ's rule is yet future. Hebrews 2.8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So in this present age in which we live, Christ reigns, and he reigns supremely. That is, that he has control over all things on this earth, but he does not choose 
to exercise that control completely. Uh, there is going to be a time in which he is going to bring to an end all evil. Uh, he could bring an end to evil at this moment if he chose to do so. Uh, he could come back and he could begin to reign if he chose to do so, but he doesn't choose to do so. So he exercises his authority in such a way that he allows people to go their own way, to live in rebellion against him, but that is going to come to an end. The book of Revelation reveals the process by which Christ will come to exercise his rule, kingship, over all people and entities. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their face and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So there's this sense in which this reign is yet future. Uh, you know that Christ is going to return. It says he reigns with an iron hand, meaning that that which he desires is going to come to pass. He's going to uh, stop Satan in his tracks. Uh, Satan is not going to have the freedom to uh, do what he is doing today. Uh, he is going to uh, suspend that activity of the evil one. Uh, all of that is yet future to us, but it's very important for us to realize. Number one, the book of Revelation opens with a glimpse into the throne room of God. Uh, the book of Revelation, again, is about this reign of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so the, the throne of God becomes uh, a central figure throughout the book of Revelation. So example, Revelation 1-4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from who, him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, his throne. The book of Revelation has as its mainstay or centrality the throne of God. Revelation 4. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carmelion, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Uh, forgot to underline that one. So around the throne. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a glass of sea like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were 
full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you've created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So here is this emphasis on the throne, on the throne, on the throne, on the throne. It's a picture of God's uh, kingship. He is sitting on his throne. And all these events are centered upon the throne. The setting of the book of Revelation. The backdrop to the book of Revelation is the battle that rages between God and his company and Satan and his company. It is the battle between Satan and Christ for the rule of this world. Satan and his cohorts win some battles. Revelation 11, 7. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer and kill them. So here, the evil one is victorious. He rises up and uh, he makes war on God's people. He conquers. He kills. Revelation 13, 7. And it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. So the aspect here is God is still in control. He can't, Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow, but God allows it. God allows the rebellion. God allows this to take place. And it's not that God is truly beaten at this point, but he allows Satan to have his battles. And he allows Satan to win some of those battles. And it means hardship and difficulty for God's people. Though God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, along with his company, are the ultimate victors, Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. So, the evil one wins some battles, but Christ wins the war. And we need to understand that there is a war raging, and there are going to be some battles that are lost. But the outcome of the war is not in doubt. Christ is going to reign. And so we need to understand that tension that exists. D. I like to think of the book of Revelation as the cataclysmic book of Job. Just as there is a battle between God and Satan over the man Job, so too in the book of Revelation, there's a battle between God and Satan over the kingdom of this world. Just as there is a lifting of the curtain in the book of Job so that we are able to see the unseen events taking place in heaven that play themselves out in the life of Job. You remember, uh, Satan comes to appear before God. God says, where were you? Uh, and uh, Satan gives a report. Uh, God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the face of the earth. And Satan says, oh, the only reason he serves you is because of all the things you do for him. Take those things away and he won't serve you. God says, yes, he will. Satan says, no, he won't. And so 
God says to Satan, all right, you can, you can uh, do certain things to Job. Um, it tells us, it gives us this heavenly view of what is taking place in Job's life and what's taking place on earth. It's, it's giving us the, the backdrop. It's, it's giving us the information to put together what's happening, okay? That's what's happening in the book of Revelation. It's, it's opening up and, and showing us what's going on in the heavenly realm. It's helping us to understand uh, the interaction between the evil one and between uh, the Godhead. It's telling us of the activities that are being overseen in the heavenly realm that are playing their way out here on earth. Okay? And so we're to see that relationship to what is taking place on earth with what's happening in heaven. And we're to see these things are being directed up here, but playing out down here, so that we have that sense when we are experiencing these things being played out that this isn't just mere chance or this isn't just uh, an experience that were happening, but this is indeed what God told us would happen and uh, is taking place. Uh, So picking up in the middle of number two, Uh, I have here played themselves out in life of Job. So too in the book of Revelation, there is a lifting up of the curtain to see the unseen events taking place in heaven, playing themselves out in the events of this earth. And number three, just as there is an ultimate triumph of Job and a unique blessedness that comes upon him, so too there is the final and ultimate triumph of the people of God along with the unique blessedness that is theirs. So I, I find Job to be very helpful as I, I think about the sufferings of Job, I, I think about the difficulties of Job, uh, I, I think about the way in which the, the friends can't understand what is uh, going on, why these things are happening. Uh, but yet, again, God is in control. And uh, Job, though going through misery and heartache, uh, comes out and uh, in the end is faithful and is tremendously blessed by God. And uh, he comes to know God in a, a new and fresh way. Well, same too with God's people in the book of Revelation. Number six, purpose of the book of Revelation. One of them is to point out the blessings that is to be had by the people who walk with God and the curse that comes upon the unrepentant. To realize that, that there is a tremendous distinction between those that belong to God and those who don't. Note the seven beatitudes or the sevenfold blessing for the people who walk with God referred to in the book of Revelation. This sevenfold blessing, as you will see, plays itself out in the entire book. Uh, We're looking at from Revelation 1-3 to Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. So notice what it says. First, Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So blessed are those who hear and who do. Blessed are those who are instructed and follow through. Blessed are those who are not merely hearers of the word of God, but doers of the word of God. So there's a blessing in following the instructions of the book of Revelation. Number two. And I heard a voice, Revelation 14, 13, from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds do follow them. So blessed are those 
that die in the Lord. Blessed are those who have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, that when they die, they're blessed. And it says they, they rest from their labors. Their work is over. Okay? The struggles of life have finished, and their deeds follow them. That is that God rewards. Uh, God is acknowledging their faithful service in this life. There is reward. There is blessing for having lived one's life for God. So blessed are those who die in the Lord, for their labors cease and their works follow them. The rewards, the heavenly crowns, that is going to be materializing. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Uh, when we get there, we'll look at uh, the book of Thessalonians. The thief is repeated many, many times in the uh, prophetic portions of Scripture. The idea there is that we need to be on guard. We need to be alert. Uh, don't grow apathetic. Uh, don't go, you know, uh, after a period of time, the Lord hasn't come. Uh, it's easy to say, well, what if he's ever coming? Uh, I wonder if the, he's ever going to really return. And uh, as I say, to grow apathetic and indifferent. Uh, the Bible says, be on the alert, be on guard, stay awake. Okay, he's coming, he's coming. Uh, don't, don't fall asleep at the switch, okay? Number uh, four, the angel said to them, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God that are going to come to pass. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Number six, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, It's going to be worth it. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have made them have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. So these sevenfold blessings. In the book of Revelation, the sevenfold curses come in the form of three series of seven judgments upon the unrepentant. That's very important to realize. These, these um, judgments that uh, you may or may not be familiar with uh, are upon the unrepentant. There's a lot of material here, so let me uh, just point to that which is underlined. Uh, so if you look on page 8, Uh, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the, the earth, such as, as are in the sea and that are in, the, in them, heard I saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Uh, and I'll keep reading. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of these seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So these uh, judgments are him going forth to conquer and to conquer. And so here are the judgments. First, the trumpet judgments. 
Revelation 9.20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands. That they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood and which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented. The vile or bold judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto them to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Revelation 16, 11. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. All right. So I have here number four. It should be noted that there's a great many similarities between the judgments that come upon Egypt and the judgments in the book of Revelation. Um, as, as we read these, these, these judgments, a lot of them have to do with uh, natural catastrophes. Uh, they have to do with plagues. They have to deal with locusts. They have to deal with you know, the, the creative things. And they're, a lot of times, people love to take these things and you know, turn them into the lo- locusts are. B-72 bombers and fighter planes and, you know, this is all this stuff that's going to come in the end and, and they make this all this incredible stuff. But I would point to you, okay, that I, and I'm going to be doing this repeatedly because it really helps us understand the book of Revelation, is that Exodus corresponds with the book of Revelation in a very, very helpful way. Uh, we are to learn from past judgments. They, they help us understand uh, future judgments. That's the point that they took place. And, you know, the judgments in the book of Revelation were locusts, were the Nile River turning into blood. Okay, the kinds of things that you read in the book of Revelation are not unlike what you read in the book of Exodus. And just as you see that God shows forth his power in the book of Exodus, and yet Pharaoh is unrepentant, so too God shows forth his power, but the people upon whom these plagues come are also unrepentant. So you have that carryover. Here's one, and you know I, I don't want to fight about this, uh, but I think many of you know that uh, my understanding of Prophecy is that the rapture comes at the end of the tribulation period, not at the beginning. Which means we would live, or saints are going to be living through this period, okay? And there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, we're not appointed to wrath. We shouldn't have to experience these plagues. Well, again, keep in mind the book of Exodus and how... When the plagues come upon the land of Egypt, that the Israelites are spared. And you say, well, how could you be spared from these things? Well, how could it be that there was darkness that covered all of the land of Egypt, but what was going on in the house of the Egyptians? I mean, in the house of the Israelites. There was light, okay? So it's all happening around them, But in their abodes there was light. So I would say to you that God preserves us from these plagues because they are coming upon the unrepentant. 
But God doesn't have to preserve us from taking us off the face of this earth. God can preserve us by seeing us through. Okay? And that's a common thought as we think of these judgments that happen in uh, the Old Testament. All right? So uh, God didn't remove the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but he preserved them in the land of Egypt. When the floods came, God didn't take Noah off the face of the earth, but he saw him safely through the flood by the ark that he provided. God is able to keep us in the midst of his judgments. Uh, That, I think, is a, a major, major theme in the book of Revelation. So as we go through this, just keep in mind as we look at these judgments, they are coming upon an unrepentant people. These judgments are not coming upon God's people. God's people are being spared, but the unrepentant are not being spared. Conclusion. The people of God will be blessed in the end. The unrepentant rebels will be crushed in the end. God will overcome his enemies. God will reward his servants. It will be well worth it to stay faithful to God. Um, So, next week we'll start unpacking uh, the book and um, as I say, I hope it will be valuable and useful to you, but there is just a, an overview of the approach that I'm going to be taking as we work our way through this book so you can see where I'm coming from. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray you would help us in our study of the book of Revelation. We acknowledge that uh, there is much we don't understand, but we're thankful for what we do understand, and I pray that Uh, Lord, uh, you would help us in that which we do understand to be faithful to it. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, and that, Lord, you'd give us a a better understanding of the battle that is raging uh, and uh, that which is ultimately going to take place uh, in the end. Uh, Lord, not so that we can predict a time of your coming, but, Lord, so that we can be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, so we can be encouraged And know that it is well worthwhile to be faithful to you. uh, To realize, oh God, that you will be faithful to us. Uh, We are under your care. We are under your protection. Uh, We thank you, oh God, for the joy of that reality. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we study this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.